What is going on? This is TJ Murphy and welcome to another episode of Adventurous Entrepreneurs. I have a value-packed episode lined up today. My guest is Lisa Levy. Lisa is the CEO of L-Cubed Consulting and a three-time number one best-selling author. Known for her innovative approach to evolving technology and change management, Lisa found her niche in helping companies align their people, processes, and technology. Leveraging her expertise in project management, process performance, and organizational change management, Lisa aims to transform teams into strategic assets. A proponent of breaking the typical consulting model, she seeks to equip her clients with the tools and self-reliance needed to thrive in an ever-changing business landscape. Outside of her transformative work, Lisa cherishes spending time with her family and her beloved Basset Hounds. Just a few of the golden takeaways Lisa shares in this episode or how to design your roller coaster, aka your journey in life, cracking the glass ceiling for women in leadership, and adapting to change as a CEO. So without further ado, this is me and Lisa Levy. Welcome to the Adventurous Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, TJ Murphy. Since quitting my corporate nine to five and starting a business while backpacking through Asia back in early 2017, I've had the privilege of learning from some incredibly adventurous entrepreneurs. Through these conversations and my own journey, I've learned that much like in life, entrepreneurship is an adventure. On this podcast, I explore the journeys of top performing leaders in their fields. These wide ranging conversations include tactical business advice, how I built this insights, lessons in leadership, life hacks, travel stories, favorite hobbies, and insights into living a purposeful and joy-filled life. Adventures await us, so let's dive in. Hey, Lisa, welcome to Adventurous Entrepreneurs. TJ, thanks for having me and inviting me to this conversation. Well, it's a pleasure to have you, and I'm really excited to dive in. So I'd love to start with just a bit of background on your entrepreneurial journey. You've referred to it as designing your roller coaster. So can you explain that metaphor and just tell us a little bit about what led you to founding L-Cubed Consulting? Absolutely. So it was 2008, 2009, and I was working what I thought was my dream job. I was working for a startup. It was a rocket ship ready to launch. And I was building the project management team to help them execute business effectively and repeatably. And I hated every moment of every day. Oh, no. It was corporate. It was a series of senior executives who had all brought in different consulting teams to combat their peers' consulting teams to try and prove they had the greatest value to offer to everyone and no one all at the same time. And I got pissed off. And I said, I want off. I want off the roller coaster to hell because it kept going loop to loop to loop. Right. I'm going around and around and I am nauseated. It is sickening. And deep down inside, I knew that I could do something better. And I knew that what was happening with consultants was not serving their clients, but it was serving the consultants bottom line. And that's broken and it's wrong. So I, in the heat of the moment, made a rash decision and walked away from what I perceived like safety, security, a salary, um, a 401k, health insurance, all of those things that I thought I needed to be successful and said, no, I'm done. And I'm going to do something different. 
And I've spent the last 14 years building a consulting model that serves my clients, customers, not my client, but their customers, right? We're driving value to those people who are actually buying products and services. And I'm helping them build self-reliance so they don't need me and my team for any longer than an engagement. I love that it. That is absolutely blowing up a traditional consulting model. And I have so much fun doing it. I can tell. I love your energy. And I love that you took that leap of faith, you know, yeah. leaving, leaving that safety net, burning the boats and saying, there's got to be a better way. And I'm going to figure out how I'm going to do it. And you've developed a unique approach. You call it the adaptive transformation framework, if I'm not mistaken. Can Absolutely. you explain what that is and how it benefits your clients and ultimately their customers in the process? Absolutely. So one of the things that I learned along the way working in really large corporations are there are some best practices out there and big companies have lots of money and they invest into them. Things like project management, process management, organizational change management. Large organizations spend millions of dollars on these practices every year. Smaller entrepreneurial companies need those skills and they need those capabilities, but they do not need to spend the money to build them. They don't have to be freestanding departments. Every employee in every company can understand those concepts and use them to drive value to their company's customers. Because when we focus at that customer level being the center of the universe, every excuse me, every business decision we make, every action we take day in and day out should be driving value to that customer. Then we have an effective and efficient business model that actually adds value. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, I'm in a marketing world. Everything that I do is through the lens of how can we provide as much value and set our clients apart from all of the noise, all of the shiny objects, all of the competition out there. And the best way to do it is having that customer-centric approach. So, so I love you it. It's really refreshing. get it. I right? do. Marketing I understands I this. Customer journey, customer experience. Marketing lives and dies by this. It does. But those same principles apply to our utility companies. They apply mm -hmm. to our technology companies, our financial service companies. If we focus on our customers, we get rid of wasted time, energy, and money. We become more profitable, more effective, more efficient, and we get what marketing teams love to get to, right? We get our raving fans. Yeah, that's what it's all about, especially when yeah. it comes to phone companies. Not, not a raving fan of my phone company, that's for sure. Not to name names, but having the customer service and the customer first mentality, it's always going to win my business. If I have to choose between two companies, even if I'm going to pay a little bit more, if I know I'm going to be able to pick up the phone and get the help and support that I need, I'll pay for that all day long. And most people will, right? The, the price difference in the scheme of things is often not significant. Yeah. And to know that you're going to be taken care of, I was watching the news last night and one of the investigative teams was out helping a woman who her home had burnt down tragedy of epic proportions and she had been on the cusp of remodeling and she had ordered new doors and new windows and had payments due right and said i'm sorry i don't need the doors and the windows my house burned down i need to cancel this contract 
months of negotiating and the company was like, no, you have a contract, you owe us money. We don't care what you do with the windows and the doors. We've already manufactured them. So she got the investigative reporter to you know, get in, in the midst of it. And finally they said, oh, we're so sorry. We didn't realize what had happened. Yeah. They should have handled that right the first time. Did they even ask? <laughs> Did they ask? Who knows? But Who I knows? think that she was probably you know, sobbing and explaining exactly. the, the tragedy. And did they care? No. The Not until there was bad PR. Yeah, exactly. Until it was yeah. going to be a, a bad story for them. So let's bring things forward to what you're yep. focused on today. Can you give us um, a glimpse, just an example, perhaps, of a company that you've helped adapt and thrive using your consulting model? Absolutely. So I, I was sort of hinting at a story and this is a big example and I'm using the big examples because translating that down into smaller places is actually easier. I was working with a utility company and in the state of Arizona where I'm at utilities, your electric company is determined by your zip code. There's no competition. You get yeah. the service assigned. One option. There's one option. You love it, hate it. It just doesn't matter. You don't have, an, there are no choices. <laughs> they realized that they had an opportunity to improve their customer satisfaction because I'll be really honest, in the nation, they were in the bottom three, not 3%, the bottom three. So we started looking at their process and how they worked with um, subdivision home builders. I'm in Arizona, the Phoenix market is always growing, homes go up left, right, and 100,000 of them a day. And the contractors who are building them were are just frustrated. So I sat down with the construction team and started to understand what do you do? How do you do it? And I had 20 people in a room. Everybody had a different story. Everybody thought they did something different than the person sitting next to them. And we saw that they advertised a new construction process takes 20 weeks. They told me it was really 30 weeks. Systematically, we went through step-by-step step what every team represented by those 20 people actually did in the process. We found redundant steps. We found work that was done that actually did nothing. They, people finished it and nothing happened with the output. When all was said and done, when we peeled back the layers and rebuilt the process with the customer in mind, right? what did those contractors really want to see happen? That process became four weeks. Wow. From 30 down to four. From 30 down to four. That's some serious trimming of the fat. <laughs> that is people's time, the company's money, wasted resources, and a communication process that was infuriating to everybody who participated in it. From an advertised 20 to an actual 30 resolved down to four four weeks. Big example, huge implications. But when you're talking about doing this in a smaller environment, we can make the tweaks are a little bit smaller, but the impacts are just as meaningful. And it is amazing how fast businesses grow into the way we've always done it. Right? I've been working for this company since day one and whatever it is that I do is the way that I do it, TJ, and I'm going to train you because you're my replacement. And I'm going to train you exactly on how I do it. And you're going to follow that process until you train Sam, who comes on board. 
And somebody asks Sam six months later, so why do we do things this way? Uh, I don't know. It's the way we've always <laughs> the done way it. We've always done it. Exactly. Change is hard. Change. It is. And if we don't have a reason why we're doing it, we probably don't need to be doing it. Mm-hmm. And so I love, I love the simplification. I mean, almost any process is going to have redundancies or just areas that can simply be eliminated or streamlined. But another thing that you talk about a lot in your content, in your book, I believe, is flexibility and how important that is in business processes. I'm curious, like, how does that contribute to delivering value to the customer? And do you have an example there where flexibility really made a huge difference? So flexibility is crucial because once we lose it, we get stuck back in the way we've always done it because we've stopped asking those why questions and and understanding where the value comes from. But flexibility is also about adapting to change, whether it's the change that we're planning for or change and disruption that happens to us. We have to be comfortable in uncertainty. And so in that adaptive transformation framework, right, I talked about that organizational change management piece. Mm-hmm. And that's the mindset of embracing change. It's inevitable. It happens to us every day. Um, we're, we're late for work because we're driving and you know, there's road construction and we're panicking. We have to adapt in the moment to change our course and our route to get to work on time. A pandemic shuts us out of our workplace for two weeks, six months, three years, whatever time duration it impacted you. These things are all around us. And as leaders and entrepreneurs, we more than anybody have to be able to say, okay, that didn't work. We're going to try this. And that idea is embracing experimentation as a cultural strategic advantage. I talk about it as creating an innovation engine inside of your business Mm -hmm. where we are always looking for new ideas. We're looking for the crazy things that we think we'll never be able to pull off. Um, We're looking for things that we don't actually believe are possible, but we want to play with them and we want to test them and we want to see what happens. Sometimes we're going to get some really cool results. Sometimes we're going to get some really awful results. Regardless of the outcome, we've learned something. And in that learning moment, right, we do more of the things that gave us the results we were looking for and we stop doing the things that suck quickly that's being flexible, that's being adaptive, that is driving things forward. When we embrace that and it is part of our culture where we're looking at new ideas and testing them and have those experiments going on quarter by quarter, year by year, we're driving growth cycles, right? We're doing something really cool today, but every new product, every new service has sort of a a lifespan, a shelf life. Mm -hmm. And if we ride it out to the bitter end, we have a downturn in our business. But if we have that innovation engine constantly running, we're developing and testing and experimenting. And when cool new things happen, we're taking them to market and we can accelerate the growth cycles for the business overall. I love it. As a marketer, that resonates with me so deeply because that's the hat that I enjoy wearing the most. In marketing, you're always testing. You have assumptions, you know what will work in most cases, but if you want to stay innovative, if you want to stay on top, you've always got to be testing and reiterating and A-B testing everything to see what's going to work well in this particular case. How can we make it just incrementally better? 
And that's where sometimes things don't work out. Like you say, sometimes there are awful outcomes and we say, okay, that one didn't work. Let's go back and figure out what will. But in other cases, you find surprises that you would never have stumbled upon unless you took the, the time to experiment. So I love that. And I'm curious because you're, you're deeply entrenched in like the intersection of people, processes, technology, I would imagine. Yeah. That's got to be very challenging. What is what is the most difficult aspect of aligning those three pillars and, and how do you overcome those challenges when you're working with a, a client? So, right, those three pillars are the cornerstone of everything. Yeah. Every management consulting team in the world plays with those levers. In my experience, and when and I'll roll it back a little bit, I started out in IT project management. And then I grew into process management and overseeing teams of project managers who were changing process and then implementing technology. The people process technology points of intersection are critical. And I like, I'm a little bit of a system thinker and I'm not truly a creative. Um, it's a formula, people plus process times technology equals growth and scale. It's in order we have to follow, we have to have the right people doing the right work. They have to have the drive, the desire, the aptitude. They need to be hungry, humble, and smart. They need to be in, that, in those roles to make an impact. We need to make sure that they have processes that work, that are effective and efficient. And so we have good people doing the right work. And then we use technology. That gives us the lift. It gives us the scale. It enables good process. If we don't get the people in the process parts correct and we enable enable with technology we get to a place called super fast bad and everybody's pissed off it happens all the time and it's totally 100 avoidable you just got to do the work on the front end you got to do the work on the front end so what do you see as mission critical for any organization, not just to survive, but thrive amidst all the changes in technology that we're seeing. I mean, right now, AI is the big, big thing, shifting things up. How are you helping clients adapt there? And what is that mission critical thing to stay on top of it? So, right, it's all goes back to the innovation engine, right? What does AI mean for the business? How are you going to experiment with it? How are you going to test and play and see where it adds value and where it doesn't? I personally am not a marketer. And mm -hmm. I love chat GPT to help me with content development. Oh yeah. Right. It does not get, the, it is not the final product, but what it gives me allows me to save hours of pulling my hair out, staring at a blank page. So right. The emerging technologies can always shake things up, but if we use them cautiously, learn how they add value and benefit and, and we leverage that, I generate far more content today than I did six months ago. Me too. <laughs> right. That's, that's in, me personally. In a fraction of the time. Yep. And it's more holistic, right? It, it's first draft gives me more dimension than my first drafts ever did. Yeah. So um, from a business perspective, right? How do we, how do we stay on top of all of these things? It, it ties back to the innovation engine and right. How do you build from the things you learn into your strategy? And then how do we drive strategy execute operationally and link the tactical day-to-day -to, -day to it. And that's right. All of the pieces of what we do with the adaptive transformation framework is tie that together. So everyone in an organization, regardless of their role, understands what the strategy is, 
what they do day in and day out, how it drives the strategy and what that means to the customer. So there's the old NASA story. Mm -hmm. um, President Kennedy, I believe, is walking the floor in NASA and comes across a janitor who's mopping the floor. And he says, yeah, sir, you, what, do you, what do you do here? And he looks up at him and says, well, you're, you know, Mr. President, I'm helping put a man on the moon. Yeah. It's that simple and it's that elegant. I love it. And do you find, because you, you come in as an outsider into mm -hmm. organizations, small and large, do you find that many organizations just can't see the big picture because they're so entrenched in their ways? They're so deep into the processes and everything that they've been doing to really be able to see the emerging trends and developments and changes that are going to be needed down the road. Like, I'm sure it's all over the place, but do you think that for most organizations, having that outsider perspective is important and so, like a necessity in most cases? Obviously, I'm terribly biased. Of course. Yes. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> an outside objective, you know, an outside objective observer sees things that you don't see inside. Yeah. And has a way and the ability to share and help everybody understand what those observations might mean. Um, the impact in almost any organization is meaningful. Everybody, it, it's human nature. We get into the rut, the, the rinse and repeat of day in and day out interaction. And our perspective gets narrower and narrower. And so staying focused on the big picture, on the vision, you know, a good founder, a CEO, right? They live and die for that. That is what gives them their reason for getting out of bed every day. But when the business is growing and they're involved operationally day in and day out in sales and operations in HR, they lose that perspective. And so it is important, at the very least, I suggest, right, having somebody that touches the organization quarterly with an outside view. Yeah. So that you can see the things that you're just not seeing because, you know, with blinders on, we sometimes just miss what's happening. And very few companies have teams that are so good that they don't get some benefit from um, a different perspective. Absolutely. And as the outsider, I'm sure you, it's important for you to just pay attention to what's going on, what trends, what developments are going to ultimately affect the people and the organizations that you work with. What are you seeing on the horizon that may influence how we work and that we're going to need to adapt to and make changes um, in businesses, small or large? For me right now, the topic that causes me the most frustration is remote work versus in the office work versus mm. hybrid work. Yeah. It is crazy how quickly we can have that rubber band that we stretched during the pandemic and we all experimented and we were flexible and we did all of these things, how quickly it's constricting back to trying to get to the way we've always done it. Yeah. We learned a lot about giving people freedom of their schedule. We learned that people actually become more productive when they're working on their terms and are they're not stressed out about childcare or you know a commute, the distance of a commute and how many hours in a week we lose doing all of that. And I am passionately frustrated with the large corporate CEOs that say people have to have their butts in the seats. 
every team that I've led in my more than 25 years of work have always had hybrid opportunities because there are times when it's best to not be in your desk at the office to get things done. There are obviously roles in the world that can never be hybrid. A bank teller can't exactly do that from, from home. No. But there are there are role, there are roles that certainly live for it in the marketing world, right? There are many creatives who would much rather be up at two a.m. That's when their mind is going, and they come up with great things. But you know, at nine in the morning, they're like, "I need like five more cups of coffee." Yeah, just a shell of myself. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just a shell. And that's you know, IT developers. There are all sorts of people that play in that space where there's you know, pro- productivity doesn't necessarily happen nine to five, and you know, this is a really drawn out answer, TJ, I'm sorry, but I'm just so pissed off about it. I am just so pissed off because this desire to go back to what didn't actually work well makes no sense to me at all. Yeah. And I think, you know, for many, they want to have the option. They want to be able to be with their team and have face-to-face interaction. Some would prefer to just be remote and you know, they get their work done on their schedule and they can be 10 times more productive in a fraction of the time and get to use that other time for the things that they enjoy most with the people they care about most. So I think that ultimately makes work more human, which makes people happier in their roles, more fulfilled in their roles. And ultimately they're going to be more productive and have much longer terms of work with the company because they actually enjoy being there. And I think there's good examples on both sides, fully remote, hybrid, in-person all the time. But I think it ultimately boils down to leadership and building high-performing teams that enjoy what they do and are empowered to do great work. And you get to see that all the time. What do you see in companies that do have high-performing teams? Like, What are some of those keys that help make those organizations excel? So the places where I've been, where we get to the truly high-performing teams, right? People stay, right? They want to work there. They enjoy it. They get great value out of it. The clients, you know, the if it's a service or you know, a product, right? The customers are raving fans. Mm-hmm. There is less sick time used. There is less, you know, PTO kind of used across the board that's probably there's a good side to that and a bad side to that because people still need to take their time away but you know yeah. the, the numbers start to show that out and it becomes places where people want to work there right I, I am loving what i'm doing and i tell my best friend who does something similar right you want to bring them over and participate in the experience right you have this groundswell of great people bringing great people along and companies flourish it's fabulous um, in that space, right, when we've used the adaptive transformation framework and we have the experimentation and the ideation going on, we then, right, have ongoing continuous improvement. Every process gets better. We do more faster with less effort because we're finding ways to be better at what we do. And heaven forbid you go to work and have fun. <laughs> right. Right. So awesome. those are the main impacts. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I want to segue a little bit because now now we understand how you operate, how you're able to provide value in the marketplace, how the customer is really at the core of it all. But I want to understand a little bit more about you as an entrepreneur. And 
specifically looking at it through the fact that as an entrepreneur, and honestly, just most people in general, we at one time or another struggle with living a well-rounded life, which we've kind of touched on with that work-life balance. But it's all about bringing yourself forward in a way where you can do the things you enjoy most with the people that you care about most at the end of the day. And I'm curious, like, what does living a well-rounded life look like for Lisa amidst all the things that you have going on, being a best-selling author, running a consulting firm, and I'm sure a whole lot of other side projects you're involved with? Absolutely. So it started out about making sense of work, right? Making work meaningful and and not just an arduous, awful thing that made me want to cry every day. Mm-hmm. And then over time, it, it, it becomes about freedom. And freedom means different things, but it's the freedom to take off Friday and go hiking or take off Friday to sit and watch movies because it's 115 degrees. And if I go to the movie theater, I'll be really comfortable. Um, it was freedom to make those choices, freedom for me to spend time in the beginning with my grandmother um, and you'll know, be able to just kind of pick up and go and move, you know, be with her for a while. So it's, it's about freedom and flexibility and being able to do the things that I love from my customers, my clients, and balance out that there are a million things that I want to do. And some days it's a, you know, planning to do absolutely nothing. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I definitely enjoy right? those days. <laughs> and, and that piece, that choice, that day is really critical for on, the entrepreneurial journey. Because when we're on, we're on at 110%. And going, 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 right? Because when you're just starting out on the path, you are... You are sales, you are operations, you are in that first phase of solopreneurship, you're everything. And it's seven days a week and it's whatever you want it to be. And so for me, it was peeling it back to 14 years into this journey. On Fridays, I don't take meetings. I take zero meetings every Friday. That is my day to generate content. It is my day to do things and do thought work. And stopping as an entrepreneur to do thought work is the most valuable use of your time because there's no noise and there's no distra- no distractions. So it's like pull yourself away from everything and, and give yourself that time. And I started doing that 10 years ago. Wow. And I would, that's a piece of advice to everybody. Give yourself the time to think. You have to. You, you have, have to. to. Otherwise, you're going to burn yourself out and you're never going to be able to realize those big goals that you set for yourself because you didn't take the time to really figure out how you're going to get there. I love the no no meetings on Friday. I do it. No meeting Mondays, which for me just really helps me start the week, plan everything out, make sure I've got all the, the things in place to just have momentum throughout the week. And that's been very productive for me. So absolutely. And also the fact that you can just take time off because that's for many, especially when you're just getting started or you've grown a successful business, but you've built it in a way you didn't design it in a way where you have that freedom to remove yourself from the equation. Everything rests on your shoulders. That's, that's a hard situation to be in having been there myself. And I actually was talking to some colleagues about this today. It feels so great to be at a point where just yesterday I took the afternoon off to go up to beautiful Lake where 
my in-laws were camping for the week and we went and paddleboarded. We spent the afternoon together, had dinner at their campsite and just completely unplugged from my phone and from work. And I knew that my team was there to, to take care of anything while I was away. And that's something that I think every entrepreneur needs to not just aspire for, but intentionally figure out how you can design your business and get to the point where you can do that. Because unless you're like Elon Musk and you just can grind, grind, grind and work, and that's what makes you happy. It's just a matter of time before you're going to get burnt out. You're going to look back and say, where, where did the time go? Because absolutely. So and you, Elon Musk, there are a handful of those examples of the extreme. Most human beings don't thrive in that, in that, in that space, in that way. Yeah. And building with purpose on purpose to take care of yourself as an entrepreneur is important. And on that journey, right, there's a point in time when your business gets to a certain size and you aren't the one doing everything and you have a team of people around you. One of the key measures that I, I, I set up is we need to plan for and build the time where you have people, good people doing the right work for the right reasons around you so that you're sort of irrelevant, right? You've, yeah. you've worked yourself out of a job and can go and take 30 days off and the business will thrive. You can take 60 days off, the business is still thriving. And you have the flexibility of choice to be engaged with your business when you want to be, to be engaged with your family when you want to be. And if you're truly entrepreneurial, you'll be building the next thing yeah, because you want exactly. to be. Yeah. yeah. I just started a great book on this very subject, actually. I'm not far into it yet, but Clockwork by Mike Michalowicz. Highly recommend for anybody that wants to accomplish just that, because from what I understand, it lays out a blueprint to be able to take that 60-day vacation where you're not just letting the business stagnate while you're gone. It's actually going to thrive because you've built the systems and the team to make it do so. So I love that you bring that up. And awesome. as, as a woman who has broken into and, and excelled in leadership in the corporate world, now as an entrepreneur, I think this is just an important topic. And if you're comfortable talking about it, I'd love to hear what challenges have you faced and, and like, how have you overcome them? And what advice would you give to other women in business who want to break into leadership roles and climb the ladder in a very still today, male dominated world? It is still a terribly male dominated world. So I, this is, I love this topic. Thanks for bringing it up, TJ. The experience that I had, right? There are things that right in our world, we don't know what we don't know. So I mentioned I started in IT project management, which is IT is very much male dominated. In that experience, when I took in the role of the director of project management, I was the first woman in leadership on that team. At the time, I didn't think anything of it because I'd always been, it had been Lisa and the guys for my entire you know, early career. I never really thought about that being unique until we started having sessions, right? We we're having our weekly team meetings and I started sharing ideas, thoughts, observations that I had about what was going on and how we could do things better. And our, our boss sort of said, we need to take that offline. You and I can have a one-on-one -on -one conversation about that and continued on with the rest of the meeting. When we followed up later that day in his office, 
the conversation went, Lisa, when you come to the staff meetings, I've set the agenda. I know exactly what we're talking about. And if you have ideas, you should discuss them with me in advance. And if they're worth taking to the team, I'll put them on the agenda. I went, well, that feels kind of odd, right? Team building, right? Team work, right? And I started testing this around with my peers and nobody else had ever heard that kind of feedback before. So I started testing, planting ideas with my peers and letting them bubble it up in the team meetings. To your male peers. My male peers, right? I am the only female at the table. So I'm talking to, to, you know, Tim, John and Joe and they're taking the ideas and getting praised. (laughs) That's a fabulous idea. Thank you for bringing it to the team. Let's figure out how to make that happen. I like to solve problems and we were making progress. So I thought that this was really cool. I had allies. They were people that I had good rapport with. We had all of these things and I'm starting to watch, right? Raises, promotions, yeah. all of these You're other not getting things. any of the credit for- <laughs> I'm not getting any of the credit for anything. And the boss who is a very bad manager, he, he can't even call him a leader. He's a bad manager. We got promoted three times. I didn't know what I didn't know, but I knew that I'd had enough and I moved on. I never had a good mentor who was a woman because there weren't any. And so I personally, right, I I, I published leadership or the Lady Diversity Power um, book over my shoulder is all about women and their journey into leadership and what, what they've done. It is a global group of authors who contributed to it because I was ignorant of how bad it was to be a woman trying to do these things. And I was just doing my thing my way because that's all I knew how to do. We need to support each other. Male allies are important and partners and it's wonderful. But if they're getting recognition instead of you, it's still not a healthy dynamic. Not at all. And women as I hit other environments with there were other women, it was competitive because getting a seat at the table was so hard. It's her or it's me. And I'm going to do everything in my power to get there because I want to build my career. I want the experiences and all of that. It was brutal. Women were brutal to each other. In the last three years, I've made a concerted effort to engage in networking organizations and things with women to learn how to play nice Hmm. because I never learned how to do that in my earlier experience. It was all so, so competitive. And so one of the greatest things I can do today is help other women step into leadership roles and to coach and guide and mentor them into being the best successful versions of themselves that they can possibly be because there was nobody around who was doing that when I was coming up. I love it. It's sad, but yeah, that I take great, I take great joy in helping women. Well, I praise you for it. And for anyone listening, I mean, your book is a great resource. We'll drop the the link to that in the show notes. Is, is there anywhere else where you would recommend? Sounds like you do some mentoring and coaching and, and work with women. Is there any other resource that people can tap into women that are listening? Uh, women that are listening, one of the places where I am learning how to do all of this is a network called Lead Hership. 
Global. That's a very nice name. <laughs> you got it. Okay. Yeah. Lead yeah, yeah, yeah. Leadership. Yep. Leadership Global. And it is a fantastic group of women um, lifting and supporting, coaching, guiding, teaching. Um, and it's the first, one of the first places where I was able to say in a group of women, I suck at this. Help me be better. Yeah. I love that. We'll, we'll find it and put that in the show notes as well. Lisa, as we kind of move to wrap up here, I teed this up earlier, but I have a choose your own adventure question for you. So you can pick whichever one you'd like or, or both if you so desire, but what's a favorite trip you've been on place you visited in the last five years, or just like a recent adventure that you've gone on. And in either case, what was it like? What made it so memorable? Maybe a favorite meal or experience that you had something that you learned. Do you have any stories that come to mind? So, you know, recency and primacy, um, a few weeks ago, we got back from a trip with the family. Um, yeah. I, my partner and I took his two adult children, his son's fiance, and we went to Cancun and nice. we sat on a beach for five days and it was not a grand adventure, but it was the first time that we'd all been together like that in years. Um, the fiance has never left the country before. So we, you know, oh, wow. passport and all of that. So we, you know, for her, it was a grand adventure. Um, and we spent time together and in a place where we turned off all technology, we put all of our phones and tablets like in the safe, didn't see them for five days and just tuned into each other. And the kids aren't mine. I got them in my world when they were teenagers but we have just so much fun being and yeah, we were eating and we were drinking. Yes. Those were adult beverages. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we were drinking the adult beverages and enjoying yeah. time. Together. And that's I, the best, you know, the best thing I can ever ask for them, please. I don't want a gift for my birthday. Come and spend an afternoon. Oh yeah. And hang out. We're, we're big on experiences, not things in this family. And I love that you, just put all the devices in the safe. That's such a, it's an important thing <laughs> to do because even if you're not working, you know, we end up mindlessly doing whatever we do on social media and it just takes, well, we do. Experience. And it's, you know, it's a practice that I picked up during the pandemic when we were all just sort of going seven days a week, because everything was just sort of right. We're in our homes and we were trapped. I started turning off technology every other weekend and oh, not cool. doing social media and not doing all of that. I don't do it as frequently, but I still try to do that about once a month where there's just a weekend and no tech. I like that. I'm going to bring that up to my wife and I think she'll be fully on board to test that out. Oh, awesome. So what, what ask challenge or, or parting advice do you have for people listening before we, we wrap things up? So I guess, you know, my challenge to people who are listening is in your day-to-day -day world, take a few minutes and ponder, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? And what value do they actually add? And you, that first step of that thought work will probably lead you to some interesting questions and observations and opportunities to make changes that will improve your business or improve the impact and value that you drive for your customer. Love it, love it, love it. Lisa, where can people find and support you online? Website, socials, the books, Absolutely. things like that. Absolutely. The primary website is lcubedconsulting.com. There's always information that you can find about me at lisalevy.com, Lisa L. Levy on LinkedIn, and YouTube, our channel is lcubedconsulting. 
Awesome. And we'll put links to all of it in the show notes. And Lisa, thank you. This has been value packed. I took a bunch of notes. I have some things that I want to implement and I'm sure the rest of the people listening do as well. So I appreciate your time and I look forward to continuing to follow your journey. Thanks for giving me a platform to share some stories. To all of our adventurous listeners, thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Please be sure to subscribe, download, and share this on social media or with someone you know will get some value from it. Leaving a review goes a long way in helping people find the show. And I personally appreciate reading them when they come in. So please go drop one if you have the time. We'll see you all next week. And remember, whether we're talking about business or the things that bring us joy outside of work, life is meant for exploring. So go out there and live it one adventure at a time.